Welcome to Rejoicing with Bella. I'm your host, Bella Heesom. I'm an actor, writer and theatre maker. And a couple of years ago, I started researching uh, for a play that I'm making called Rejoicing at Her Wondrous Vulva, The Young Woman Applauded Herself. And during the course of my research, I discovered that we don't talk about sex enough, especially women and especially women's feelings around sex, the way that it intersects with their identity, their sense of self, um, the guilt that we feel around pleasure and all of these things. And I decided that we desperately needed to broaden the conversation um, to have more chats about all these topics. And so as well as making the play, I decided to do a podcast series where I have nice um, in-depth talks with interesting women. And because sex isn't just sex, because it has an impact on the rest of our lives and the rest of our lives have an impact on it, our conversations will naturally wander off down various avenues which might not seem immediately relevant, but which I think are fascinating. And it's my podcast, so I get to decide. Um, this is the third episode. If you haven't heard the other two, check them out. And if you like this one, please tell your friends and rate and subscribe. It helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much. Okay, so today my guest is Holly Morgan. And I guess I would say that you are also an actor, writer, theatre maker, which is what I call myself. Oh, that's good. But you sometimes call yourself a comedian. And I think you're, you're, you focus a lot more on comedy yes. than I do. Yeah. So do you, what, what's your kind of, the way you introduce yourself? Performer, um, comedian. Prob- yeah, pro- performer, comedian. I mean, which is, mis- uh, it's where I put myself in, in, in the Edinburgh Bro show. I go right, into yeah. comedy. Okay, rather whereas I was in being in theatre. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So I suppose, I, yeah, and I, I, I sing a lot in my shows as well, and I tend to do impressions, but impressionist sounds like, you know, you work the end of the pier circuit in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? The kind of, I hadn't thought about that. The, the hierarchy of types of performer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Impressionist doesn't make you sound as kind of cool and edgy. No. I mean, white man with Mike obviously would be... Yeah, the the, uh, the staple. Um, yeah, so I, I yeah, I, but you comedy. do great impressions, Thanks, babe. Yeah, so I I know Holly a bit from uni as well, and so I was just familiar with you just doing drunken impressions <laughs> in the pub, like which yeah. were remarkably good. Um, <laughs> is, that, craft. is that where it came from? Did ever did you just do it for fun? And did people say you should do that on the stage? One hundred percent, just did it for fun, and then um, obviously when we graduated, and I did not become a, a star overnight, which was sort of what I've been. Uh, led to believe would happen. Okay, so yeah, so back to <laughs> So, what was your your plan? Your kind of. So my plan was um, the 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 world has been waiting for my talent. Of course. Uh, so I need to get back to London as soon as possible because um, Kieran Knightley's been taking my jobs. Right. Um, re- forgetting that I was by that point twenty one and was never going to play an ingenue. Right. <laughs> Essentially, I'm, I'm just waiting until my my face catches up with my insides. <laughs> so went to drama school and then was like, right, here I am, ready. And everyone was like, well, you can stand at the back and um, be a maid if you want. <laughs> We've got this rough situation. Like you know, it's kind of that. And then was the frustration of not getting anywhere as an actress but and also like you know what is getting somewhere yeah do you know what I mean like because you worked in my head yeah. kind of like I was aware that you were doing acting jobs which yeah. from my perspective was like wild success <laughs> <laughs> somebody's paying right. <laughs> exactly I had I graduated from lick and a spit uh to touring I toured a bit with globe and stuff which was lovely but I was never they're not going to let you play Lady Macbeth if all you've done is stand at the back mm. and you've not been on the telly um so quite cynically actually initially I was like well how do I get on telly <laughs> probably better make something myself what can I do well, I can do a shoddy Liza uh, and I sing a bit so that was it was quite cynical but now I feel very differently about it yeah that's interesting okay so the journey that you've gone on there so the, am I right in saying that your first show was Seven Crazy Bitches yes yeah. so um th- this was fantastic I saw this show at Bolt a few years ago and I mean just the just the title I just went yes I'm on board I'm yeah. happy about this exactly um, don't really care what you do wow. I'm gonna buy into it absolutely tackle first <laughs> um and the so how would you describe that show 
Yeah. If, if it had kind of a cabaret vibe to 100%, me. 100%, like, yeah. I wouldn't have been surprised if you'd said you'd put it under the theatre bracket, because it mm. did feel like a play. Yeah. But it also felt like cabaret. Totally. Yeah, that my first year, it went in the cabaret section okay. as well. Um, and cabaret is, you know, I don't want to sound reductive, because it's, it's an incredible art form. Um, but it, you're not going to get as many bums on seats. People aren't flicking through the, the cabaret uh, brochure as much and that's a horrible thing to say but it, it does tend to be the well, case well especially in Edinburgh comedy is yeah. a big pull isn't it absolutely yeah and I definitely wrote Seven Crazy Bitches like a cabaret because I didn't really know anything else and I sort of knew what that was like I'll talk a bit and sing a bit that makes sense as a cabaret and it was yeah it was loosely based around the seven ages of man speech so thinking about seven ages of woman um, yeah and it, that was very very cabaret based I'm interested in this idea that you were saying um, that it started out as cabaret and also as this kind of slightly cynical thing you went on this journey because when I saw the blurb for Seven Crazy Bitches and mm. when I came to see it, it one of the things that appealed to me was that it felt very feminist yes um, and the I know you kind of talk about it being based on the Seven Ages of Man speech but I suppose the thing that I if I were to summarise it for someone, I probably would have forgotten that. And mm. I probably would have said that it was um, more about how strong women get called crazy bitches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> um, yeah. And you therefore kind of embodying lots of strong women who are mostly divas and yeah. who sing and kind of therefore expressing that through song and kind of some sort of quite light-hearted but also slightly kind of polemical you know chat yeah Yeah. Um, it feels like you very much take a you take a very kind of um well humorous comedic uh kind of uh, approach so it never feels like you're lecturing or anything I did feel like you were trying to make some points yeah oh thank you for saying that yeah I, I really appreciate that I think um again because it was I was quite I feel very like green looking back at that time um, because I was saying things that like you and I would talk about very frankly and was surprised when people were going, oh, that's punchy. Mm. Like people, people, you know, my, my, my father-in-law came out and was like, I've learned something about, I feel, I have thoughts now about feminism and, and that hadn't, if I'm totally honest, hadn't been my intention, but it's obviously just part of who I am. Oh, that's interesting. So when yeah. you were writing that show... You weren't thinking of it as a vehicle for feminist ideology. You were just saying things you thought were obvious. That's, yeah, literally, yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. And did you have other people, were you surprised by the response mm. to the feminist aspects of the show? What was the response that you got in, in that respect? I got a lot of people talking about how th- th- it was brave. Uh, I think because I, I told a lot of stories that don't make me look great as well. <laughs> like, so that's worth saying as well that... Yeah. that well, both the shows, well, presumably the third show as well, start with autobiographical content. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I think people were, were like, oh, that's a bit, you're oversharing. I got, to, <laughs> I didn't realise how foul-mouthed I was. <laughs> a lot of people, again, of my sort of father-in-law's generation, were a little bit taken aback by. Um, but they had an issue just with you swearing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that feels misogynist, it doesn't, does, it? doesn't it? That's got undertones that I don't bad, like. got a bad vibe, innit? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I mean, confessional and and I didn't realise how uh, inflammatory feminism was. Like, so again, just taking it, it's like, well, we're all, we're all feminists, right? And then yeah. you, you meet people who aren't. I mean, I remember that first summer in Edinburgh, I tried to, I was flyering for myself and I went up to a guy in um, the assembly gardens with a picture of my face. I was like, hello, would you like to come and see this? And he literally went, seven crazy bitches, that sounds like shit and women aren't funny. And uh, refused to take a picture. It had my face on it. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of take for granted that everyone's on the same page as you. But even someone who is hanging out having a drink at a major arts festival isn't on board with feminism. Mm. So, yeah, things that you and I take very much as read, people don't. Yeah. Um, 
but it's but it's interesting because I actually this is one of the things that I find interesting in terms of your approach kind of feeling a bit more populist I feel mm. like just literally the fact that you sing that opens up yeah. a whole different audience yeah. and so you'll be attracting perhaps potentially a more diverse audience you attract people who want to see something funny attract yeah. people who want to see someone with a great voice singing some you know some divas classics yeah um and those people aren't necessarily going to be yeah. um, kind of, yeah, have the same sort of feminist values or or even have thought about it. The thing that I often find most surprising is the number of people that just haven't thought about it. Yeah. So it's not that they're misogynist or that they're actively anti. Yeah. It's just that it's new to them. It's like, yeah. oh, I guess. I don't know. Would I call myself a feminist? I don't know. It's very true, yeah. So the, fir- the first show, because I think in the cabaret market, um, I got... It was a, you know, sea of grey. I had a, and a lot of... I heard intakes of breath when I say cunt, that sort of stuff. Oh, that's interesting. So you had a much older audience. Much older. Do you think it's a generational thing, the thing of of finding it offensive you swearing as well? Mm, definitely. I think uh, a generation of women were taught that they weren't allowed... Either they were told it was rude to swear, or they were told as feminists you can't say cunt. Because... Oh, yeah. So they, they, there's that kind of... And that weird... When feminism, I think, to some people of that generation is a dirty word because they think they still believe that weird myth about bra burning. And it's, you know... Men hating. Men hating, bra burning lesbians. It's, and, uh, yeah, they, they haven't interrogated those assumptions. Mm. So, you know, you, as a young woman standing up on stage saying you're a feminist and using the word cunt is anathema. They can't yeah. get their head around it. But even, like, young... I mean, I did, I did Madonna in Tom's village in Devon... Uh, which was a punchy choice. <laughs> Bless him. My my uh, my father-in-law is the local councillor and, and to the Tories, and um, we've done both our shows in the village hall. Like, they're so supportive. They're amazing. But a youngish woman came up to me. So I really enjoyed it. But I just I can't hear that word. Like, what? What? That's yeah. interesting. I used to find the word "cunt" beyond the pale. It mm-hmm. was it was the only word that I thought was beyond the pale before I went to uni. Uh-huh. Um, and in fact, our mutual friend Charlie just. <laughs> desensitized me to it um and he is male but he's also incredibly intelligent incredibly articulate and has a very large vocabulary and so i i really enjoyed the way that he would choose to deploy certain words and choose to deploy that word to great effect absolutely and so it i kind of started to see it in a different light i suppose in that you can utilize words words have power yeah and the idea of saying we're just going to take that color out of the palette and you're never allowed to use it again felt like a shame yeah and that's that's kind of how i feel about it now because i think there still are people and i think there probably are still young people who consider themselves feminists Mm -hmm. who feel that it is unacceptable yeah um and i think that's kind of an interesting conversation to be had again i've heard some people argue for example that um the word should be reclaimed, yes. but it should only be used in a positive way. Yeah. So, so yeah. this idea that it's describing female genitalia and that therefore it should be this kind of like holy, wonderful word of power yeah, yeah, yeah. and that um, to use it as an insult is kind of demeaning and undermining and Absolutely. we shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. And I think that a really easy kind of response to that is that I call people a dick. All the time. Absolutely. And I, and yeah. I do think it's quite useful. Catelyn Moran actually has like a, a litmus test for, for like whether something is sexist. She's like, are the men doing it? <laughs> and so, for example, things like if you feel obliged to remove your pubic hair, yeah. that if you want to remove your pubic hair, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. if you feel that there is an expectation that for you not to do that would be weird, yeah. then you go, is that true of the men? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, absolutely. So that... So therefore, that's some bullshit. Then you yeah. know, like even more obvious with armpit hair. Like, oh god, the, you yeah. know, do do you feel that you should remove your armpit hair? Yes, why? Or because it's dirty and smelly and it's right. But all the men have got it, and yes. you're not saying, oh god, your armpits stink. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And they probably smell more than you. Like yeah. on average, a man is probably yeah, biologically. You know, yeah. So, so that kind of idea of yeah is 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 this kind of a one sided issue? Yeah, and I think actually we use words for genitalia as insults and as negative words mm-hmm. across the genders. And therefore, that doesn't feel like a sexist issue for me. Like, yeah. Probably, I don't know what history of it is, I'd be interested to know, but I imagine that it's just that it's rude. 
you know, yeah. a rude word is gets used as an insult. Absolutely. Kind of but I also quite like the fact that actually cunt is quite versatile because is it Scots who actually use it like in like quite a pally way? Yeah. Like do, is yeah. it like just like to, you call your mate and yeah. genuinely depending on context is affectionate. Yeah, absolutely. In um so Rihanna when she first became famous it um she's Bayesian I think isn't she she's from Buffalo oh, right, yeah. uh they use it like that okay so Rihanna went to a load of early interviews and like oh yeah you can't you can't can't, 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 can't. <laughs> and someone had to take her aside like, please don't call Anna Wintour a cunt um, she's not into it <laughs> but yeah no it can't it is just a, yeah the Scots do it absolutely <laughs> um but I also like the fact that like, I sort of, I take a pleasure in the sounds of certain words. Like, yeah. this one, I sound really geeky now, but I remember learning, um, when I was learning about Shakespeare at school, about the fact that because he was an actor, the way that he wrote, often um, it was written in such a way that when you spoke the words, it helped you to be acting the thing he wanted you to be acting. So, for example, a lot of the very romantic speeches where somebody is professing love have lots of open vowel sounds oh, because yeah. it gives you this kind of, well, this open, sighing, loving, kind of, yeah. sighing kind of feel. Oh, wow. And a lot of the, like, angry... Um, sort of more aggressive speeches have lots of plosives and hard consonants. Wow. God. Because that's what happens when you're doing it. And it yeah, yeah, helps yeah. you kind of channel that bit. And I think that that's, it's really lovely to kind of to play with words in that way. Absolutely. And, 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 and actually, the same way that fuck has a really great ring to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cunt is, you, if you yeah. want to just stick that at the end of a sentence, then it's like a little bomb going off. Yeah, yeah exactly. It does exactly. the job. <laughs> Michelle Visage uh, says that uh, swearing should be like seasoning. Like, yeah. you just, like when you, you, know, you bring it out for certain flavours, if you use it right, it's just, oh, it's a lovely bit of, Salt on it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Love it. <laughs> anyway, we've got slightly side yeah. there by the uh, language. language. <laughs> um, but okay, so you had an older audience for Seven Crazy Bitches because mm-hmm. that was billed as cabaret. Um, and because I, yeah, because I think I watching it because I was in a place perhaps as well of thinking about writing a show that was intentionally feminist. Yeah. I was looking for that in other shows. Yeah. So I was, I guess I assumed that you had the same intention. Yeah. Um, and and I guess I, I therefore assumed that it was also made perhaps tactical that you were making it quite populist and quite accessible. Like mm. that, um, so Holly does a thing in a lot of her uh, kind of blurbs where you are humble about the... Um, the research and the kind of the time and effort that goes into your shows. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the current blog says you spent 20 minutes on Wikipedia yeah. or something. And, um, and, well, okay, first of all, is that true or are you exaggerating a bit? I am doing that classic, lovely lady thing we do of uh, going, you know, where's your top from? Primark. I, 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 someone gave it to me. I made it from bits <laughs> rags, of rags. Sticks. Rags. <laughs> I hate to take it. Um, yes, there's a bit of that going on. And... Um, yeah, I, I do maybe 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think what what it feels like you're doing in saying that is partly, especially perhaps as, as things have gone on, the shows have been, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the feminism has become a more conscious part when you've been yeah. creating the show. Is that true? That Absolutely, yeah. And it's still, it's quite interesting But when you write, so I write from me and my husband for Tom so Tom is often is the other character like the sidekick he sometimes gets described as in reviews um, and a, a part of my writing process so I work very closely with my good friend Lisa Miller who's kind of dramaturgs it with me and a lot of the time especially with the last show she was going why is Tom shutting you down I wrote I noticed that I tend to write with a, a male voice shutting me down which is not what he does in life at all <laughs> But I think it's part of that um, anxiety we have as women about, um, oh, do get on with it. Oh, sh- mm. sh- stop talking. So I inbuilt in my own shows a man telling me to shut up. Yeah, that's fascinating. But it's it's so interesting that you say that that's, um, that comes from, well, basically an, an insecurity that people are going to go, oh, why is this woman banging on yeah. for so long? No, exactly. <laughs> shut yeah. up, please. Oh, and it's and what I find quite interesting. I think it's, I think it's useful to highlight this, although it might be weird for me to say it to you for, <laughs> for the benefit of the listeners. That you 
come across on stage and in life as like you know fierce like a big personality a confident you know loud like big voice Mm -hmm. it's um you're singing these kind of um massive songs and these massive divas sing and it's you don't strike one as someone who is going to be apologizing for taking up too much space or saying too much or being too loud and i think it it's remarkable the extent to which even the women like that in the world still have this persistent voice in their head Mm -hmm. going just don't be don't assume that people are going to want to hear what you have to say like you're probably boring them by now yeah um yeah absolutely i think i sort of the um (laughs) the personality i formed uh, quite early on of somebody who was yeah as I am but a lot of um, it was a weird I do a lot of ah, 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 I'm so silly oh look silly old drunken holly type thing is another way of going oh don't listen to me very much I'm just a bit daft aren't I really mm, so yeah. I think there is that element and when I first started trying to put my personality on stage it came across I had to find a way of going Oh, stop banging on. And that was that version of it. Yeah. So so this was that bringing me back to the thing I was saying about mm. the blurbs, that it feels like that thing of kind of saying, oh, I've spent 10 minutes on Wikipedia and I've thrown a show together, um, strikes me. I don't want this to turn into like psychiatrist chat. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to delve into your insecurities. And all. Um, because it seems that there's probably a dual thing going on there. I think obviously it's actually a canny commercial thing, which is quite useful to flag up to people that this is going to be um, accessible, that it's not going to be yes. a lecture. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah That it's going to be a bit of fun. Yeah. Um, and I think that's absent... Like, actually, probably, if there were one word I'd use to describe your shows, then fun would be it. You, it could, feels yeah. like, you know, that's very much the atmosphere in the room. Mm. Um, but... And perhaps I'm more inclined to think about this because of knowing you in the real world mm, as mm, well. Mm. I do kind of go, are you... Because... Let, let, let us reveal that you did go to Cambridge University. Yes, yes. Um, and you are an intelligent woman. Yeah. Um, and is there is there kind of a, uh, a self-consciousness around that, around mm. not wanting to kind of to go, actually, I've got some really insightful thoughts on this topic. Yeah, oh, absolutely, definitely. Yeah, it's a, it's a way of safeguarding against people going, can you just pipe down, please, white middle-class lady from, you know, Oxbridge. Like, it's, it, yeah, definitely. And it's kind of my... So my first two shows, I was building around this idea of being a diva on a budget, so everything's a bit shit and everything's a little bit made out of, you know, pegs or whatever. Um, and the hope the new show is still got that, but it's also... It's slightly slicker, I think, because the kind of the show, Madonna, the, the middle show was much more confessional. I, it kind of culminates in me telling a story about um, when I was an actress and I worked with a director who couldn't categorise me as a Madonna or a whore. So he bullied me, essentially. And I think because the hopefully the rest of the tone, tone of the show is quite fun and upbeat, it's sort of that I wanted to achieve an emotional effect at the end. And it, would, it made for a very hard month in Edinburgh. Um, but... It feels... I feel more honest now. But, it, yeah, there is still that. Um, yeah. Right, so I'd love to talk to you more about that show, Madonna or Horse. So mm-hmm. you'd done your first thing of, like, how can I get on telly? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make a show. Yeah. Um, had, it, had it become less cynical by the time you were Absolutely. writing that? Yeah, I, I really wanted to write Madonna or Whore. Um, and it is... Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a huge Madonna, Madonna fan. I mean, I think she's she's just an, an, a fascinating pop icon because she embodies the Madonna Hall complex. She's a from the, uh, a religious background. She has the name of the Madonna, and she's the the sexiest woman who's ever lived. Who doesn't happen to be particularly beautiful or talented, but she is iconic, and the, probably the person most people want want have wanted to have sex with throughout <laughs> history. And I, I but uh, she's not. I think a lot of the problem people have with her is there's this conception about her being a bitch. A lot of people have heard stories about her being an arsehole, um, which I think is and misogynist. And also when, you know, in recent... That, that kind of, oh, put your clothes on, grandma. Yeah, that really bothers me. Oh, I, I hate think it's, it. But, it, but that, I, it does seem like men and women alike kind of jump on that bandwagon very readily mm-hmm. of um, condemning her yeah. for 
for sort of being undignified seems to be the yeah. the justification of of kind of disapproving of it. Absolutely, is, yeah. it's not dignified at that age to wear a leotard and spread your legs. Absolutely, it, rather than like fucking look at her yes. like still being able to dance like that and move like that and yeah exactly like all power to her oh for god's sake if I look like that my, you, you, I would you'd always see my minge it would just be on constant display uh, no it is, it is misogyny it's ageism and um, she again she's sort of transitioning into a new uh, type of woman in, in the public imagination so she's been the whore and now she's an old whore mm. and what do we do with old whores we burn them oh, yeah. <laughs> god yeah no you're not allowed to be an old whore are you no so just give us um for anybody who isn't familiar with it as a concept mm-hmm. a little summary of what you mean when you say the madonna whore complex so it's a freudian concept uh and so Sigmund Freud he came up with the idea basically observed that men tend to put women into two categories I mean, it's more complicated than this but you know uh it puts women into two categories either i want to have sex with them or i don't want to have sex with them because they are they are sexless to me they're like my mother like this is what i find attractive this is what i don't find attractive i mean that in itself should be myriad but you know culture is homogenizing in when it comes to the way women are told they have to look aren't they you know mm. like um young girls growing up today hopefully will begin to find another way of uh will not feel they have to look like a porn star but uh, a generation of women i think will because <laughs> mm. they may not have the tools to access uh, you know feminist literature yeah. or any other you know empowering empower literature so yeah, the, the madonna whore complex it's so pervasive so i took that idea and was like okay so madonna or whore men only see women in these two ways uh is that true and also looking at the negative stereotyping around sex workers and whore being a bad thing rather than a positive thing and the madonna being what a sexless woman who gets inseminated by an angel <laughs> like it, yeah when you want you and so i started with uh the first woman i look at is lilith who is adam's first wife who gets uh, is too sexy so they get rid of her get even who i'd never heard of yeah she's wicked yeah this is so this was an absolute revelation <laughs> so Tell us more about Lilith. Uh, so, yeah, Lilith um, was the first try, basically. Um, God gave um, Lilith to Adam, and she had sex with uh, the archangel Samuel, and anything else she could get her sweet hands on. Uh, and so they got rid of her. They kicked her out, and um, then they invented Eve from Hit the Rib. Where's this? What are, what are your sources? Oh, sources? <laughs> Wikipedia. Um, yeah, she's in sort of like the uh, Bible, the kind of, you know, the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the, she's in the, the comments on the Bible. <laughs> she's in the, in the DMs. Uh, yeah, like the early, early kind of composites that became the Bible had this version. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's brilliant. <laughs> and um, if I remember correctly, that, um, is Night Hag connected to Lilith? Yeah, that's what her name translates as. In right. Hebrew, yeah, Lilith means Night Hag. Oh, that's Hebrew, okay. Yeah. So there's this wonderful thing in your show where um, Night Hag becomes this character mm-hmm. that obviously has has her origins in Lilith but feels like it expands into like almost like a superhero yeah. kind of. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that I just loved. Oh, thank um, you. And... Uh, and felt like kind of a, a figure to, to rally around. Yes. Um, tell us a bit about her in your show. Well, she she comes to symbolise to me the the, uh, the the thing you can't put in a box. She's, she's neither. She slips through and it's, I mean, probably, yeah, the superhero that is in every woman who's, who stands up for herself and uh, actually puts aside that self-deprecation and goes, no, I am this, I am this... I'm a weirdo, am I? Because I'm not either one of your bizarre, restrictive categories. Um, and for me, she yeah became a symbol of empowerment, of being brave enough to say, 
this is this is me i have got darkness in me i have got light in me i'm everything i'm i'm a person mm. <laughs> which actually thinking about it she's still an archetype isn't she so she's not yeah but, but it's interesting that you said because that part of what i wanted that's part of what i wanted to talk to you about today was the, the archetypes because i think that we we've started talking about this madonna or whore complex as a, a thing kind of that men are doing to women if you mm. like so so men are categorizing the women they they're basically it's basically an early hot or not yes exactly <laughs> um, yeah and that the, that's um restrictive and, and and kind of oppressive in the way that they're viewing us but something that i kind of delve into in my show um rejoicing at how wondrous well the young mm. woman applauded herself um is what we as women have internalised. Yeah. So um, not just what the the kind of external forces are projecting onto us or imposing onto us, but how we then think about ourselves mm. and kind of shape our own identity. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is quite interesting is that um, often women end up adopting these boxes and mm-hmm. putting themselves in them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so there's, you know especially when you're growing up and you're kind of constructing your identity and mm. your sense of self, mm. you go, right, well, who am I going to be? What what am I going to be? What Which labels fits me the best? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and without perhaps being familiar with Freud, <laughs> I think we, we receive th- these messages about mm-hmm. the kind of person that we're allowed to be. Oh, yeah. Um, do you... If you were to sort of reflect on... Um, the way that you felt when you were younger, perhaps mm. as a teenager, did you feel the influence of these kind of archetypes in terms of the way that you viewed yourself? I'm sort of putting you on the spot. I don't know. No, if no, 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 at all. Uh, yes, no, absolutely. Um, I was always a little. Um, it's quite a bit of my new show about this. I was always slightly eccentric, um, and that led to my parents feeling like they had to protect me as they they allowed me to be eccentric at home and I was uh, just a little weirdo um and so a lot of what they my growing up was about them making sure no one hurt me because I was different and then I went when I went to school I went they sent me to um uh, they sent me to a very shit uh very small private school and my parents are socialists my mum champagne dad prosecco <laughs> and uh they yeah they they had it this idea that they had to kind of send me to a kind of incubation place for my weirdness i mean <laughs> let's not interrogate why they thought that the posh people were going to be less likely to rip me apart but um it, it was fine i i and i went i have ne- never been bullied i went to university and i was very lucky not to get bullied but it was probably the first time that i was exposed to uh, when, you know, when I started going to parties and stuff and boys got the chance to comment on me. So I'd been to a girls' school. And then you go, oh, right, okay, so I've been thinking about the boys for a bit and now I'm here I am, I'm going to present myself to them. Um, oh, they, they don't, they're not digging my uh, my oversized Nirvana hoodie. That's, that seems weird because I've got my really big flares that um, I bought in Camden, so I don't know what, what, the, what they're not thinking, why they're not liking me. And then you go, oh, it's, it's because I'm, um, I've got my eyebrows are too big, so I'll, I'm going to pluck them now. Um, oh, no, it's probably because I'm a bit fat. I think I might not eat anymore for a bit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I definitely felt, felt the impact when I became out of that gestation period of adolescence. Um, it kind of sounds like your parents' plan worked to an extent if you didn't feel that until you went to university. Yeah. That feels, like, relatively late to be... Um, to be having those thoughts about how boys are perceiving you. Yeah. I feel like a lot of girls experience that younger. Yeah, I was quite lucky. I mean, I, I you know, the, uh, when I went, I went to a mixed uh, sixth form around the corner from my house and I was, I, was, I grew up in uh, Tuffle Park, uh, which is, you know, very, you know, raw these days. But when growing up, it was basically Kentish Town and Kentish Town is very liberal and it's very um, gothy and rocky. So the people I went to school with were interested in the same... So they didn't look at me and be like, you're not a polished princess. But when I got to university, find uh, that's when I first realised that I wasn't what everyone else was. Right. Um, and, yeah, that was a bit of a culture shock. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. 
So I'm interested. So I and it may may be that you just this wasn't particularly a force for you, like a, a an influence for you growing up. For me, I felt quite aware when I was young of sort of choosing between being um, like basically a good girl and a bad girl. Right. Yeah. Like yeah, you yeah. could be the type of girl who was like sexy and would sleep around. Yeah. Um, or you could be the type of girl who was frigid, but the boys would eventually want to marry. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just wait it out. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, and uh, there wasn't really a middle ground that I was aware of. Mm. And, th- and there was definitely an expectation that... Well, there was no... It never occurred to me that one of the options might be that I would have sexual desire and that I would want to have that satisfied. It was like, don't give it away to the boys. Right. Like boys will want to have sex. Yeah. Either you're going to be a a, a whore who uh-huh. gives the boys the sex they want. Yeah. Like a fool because they don't really love you, and that's the other assumption. Yeah, you're yeah, only yeah. giving it to them because you've been fooled into thinking that they love you. Yeah. Or that they will love you if you have sex with them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I was far too savvy for that. So I obviously wasn't going to have sex with them because oh God, I wasn't going to give it to them because yeah. I knew better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, and now I'm like, where was the idea that I may have wanted to? Yes. <laughs> just literally didn't occur to me. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, <laughs> so did you completely suppress your well, attractions to people? Yeah, that- uh, well, the thing is, I was I enjoyed flirting mm-hmm. um, and I developed quite young. So I had quite big boobs mm. and so people would flirt with me like I remember like once I again I could get served quite young uh-huh. so if I went out with friends um then sometimes a guy at the bar would ch- try and talk to me and I remember like people very sagely telling me that um I was very naive for engaging in conversation with these men because they were only talking to me because they wanted to get in my pants and it's a weird thing because on the one hand looking back I'm like well they're probably right. Probably a random guy talking to me at the bar was, like, chatting me up in the hope of some kind of sexual relationship yeah. <laughs> ensuing. But there was a very black and white kind of um, quality to the wisdom, which yeah. was that, that was definitely all they wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas nowadays, I'm like, well, obviously people chat to people they fancy. Yes. But they might want to date them and yeah, they yeah, might yeah. turn into a relationship if they have sex with them and it's nice. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, whereas it was, there was a slightly kind of... Um, moralising puritanical kind of yeah. aspect to, to the voices I was hearing of like oh no don't talk to them they yeah. just want to do the, that bad thing you know god that's fascinating <laughs> and was that do you think motivated by people going like don't get pregnant don't um no I don't think it was actually because I don't think not this might sound like a mean thing to say but I was considered clever yeah. so I don't think that people would have thought that I would like accidentally get knocked up sure yeah, yeah um it it was much more to do with a kind of a kind of a purity thing it's interesting actually because it's i guess it's not quite the madonna thing because the madonna is a mother figure mm. but i feel like there's a similar dichotomy of like you can be pure and virginal or you can be slutty like sure the, and that your virginity is something that you can lose which is very precious mm. and that you are ruined once you've lost yeah, it yeah yeah um you're deva- fundamentally devalued yeah and i know that the origins of that come from like literally people knowing who the heir is and so therefore you can't have had sex before you get married and they, yeah but that was not at play in my social circle <laughs> <laughs> like, that had definitely more they weren't into... hanging the sheets out of the castle window and no. that right yeah you know that had definitely morphed into guys won't respect you as much once you've had sex with them like that was definitely something i heard was that they they want to have sex with you yeah but then once you've put out you become worthless and they yeah. won't want to speak to you again so your commodity is your virginity and once you've sold it you're that's it yeah and it, it does have that kind of weirdly like um, almost like Jane Austen vibe of like you've got to trap the man because oh, yeah. otherwise like, oh my God, the, you'll, you'll become worthless which seems so archaic looking back but it just seemed like sensible like wisdom at the time absolutely I mean I think there was that re- that surf- that school of thought really resurfaced have you read the rules have you ever read no. that 
It's an American dating book from mm. the sort of 90s, I think, uh, maybe early noughties, which is all about refusing to have sex with the stockbrokers you're dating in New York in, in yeah. the late 90s until you've got them on the hook. So it's all about, well, no, you can't until, you know, you don't, never ring them back until after date three. Never do, it's, it's literally a set of prescriptive rules, yeah. which in, I think one of them is something mad, like don't have sex with them until you're engaged or something insane like that. Yeah. But maybe that was sort of in the ether in the 90s and early noughties when we were in school. Maybe that had filtered through a bit, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, but it's it ancient, does seem it? weirdly puritanical now that I look back on it. <laughs> um, so were, were none of your friends, like, in relationships where, where they were sexual? Well, or? no, people did did start having sex, I think. And I mean, I did, but uh, in my mind, the big redeeming feature was love. Mm. So I wasn't so old-fashioned to think that you had to be married to have sex. I just thought that you, you had to be in love. Like right, the, the, yeah. And again, this was to do with guaranteeing the respect of the man. That yeah. if, or the boy, you know, if he loves you, then it's okay to give of yourself in that way. Yeah. Like, you're not losing something in the same way. Because yeah. it's being reciprocated through love. Like, Absolutely. It was, but it was kind of like, that was the exchange. You yeah. give them sex and they give you love. The assumption is that they will want sex. The assumption is that you will want love. Yeah, that's like, right. yeah. Not that you might want sex or that they might want love. That didn't yeah. really, <laughs> no. really enter into the equation. <laughs> so um, true. Which is incredibly unfair on the boys. Absolutely. They, they <laughs> might, yes, exactly. Yeah, that actually you've, you've jogged something. I, I definitely, I didn't have sex with my first boyfriend until we'd been together for three months and we'd said I love you. Then mm. it was like, all right, then fine. Let's crack on. Yeah, now we're allowed. <laughs> yeah. We've been having a lovely old time in mucky touching, but like... so that's really interesting. This again, we're just veering off onto another thing. But this is kind of a thing I've been thinking about recently: is the the definition of sex mm. and what counts. Yeah, and that's definitely attached to this idea of virginity. I think yeah. that you know that we're taught that sex is a penis in a vagina, which. Oh, it's obviously incredibly heteronormative. Yes. Because does that mean that lesbians never lose their virginity? Like, what's absurd? But also, it creates this kind of hierarchy of, like, touching. Yes, um, exactly. Whereby anything else apparently is, like, foreplay. It's categorised as foreplay. Yeah. Um, Like, there were the bases. You know, we've got to this base, this base, this base. They're all foreplay until last base, which is actual intercourse. Yeah, yeah. Um, And... That's incredibly male-centric, even if you are in a heterosexual situation, because, you know, most women don't orgasm from penetration, or not alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so the idea that that's the pinnacle of the sexual experience, it's not really geared towards female pleasure. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Um, um, Okay, now, I want to get back to this idea of archetypes. And your new show, it's called Holly Morgan is a Witch, Get Her. Yes. Um, And (laughs) title first. (laughs) Yes, brilliant. Uh, Again, I'm already on board. Um, So, well, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because obviously I haven't seen this because it hasn't happened yet. It has not occurred. Yes, it is written though, so I'm quite pleased with that. Um, Well in advance of time. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, but I've always been obsessed with the witch hunts. I just think it's it's a fascinating period of our history. And uh, this parallel with Trump's rhetoric at the moment, everything is a witch hunt against him, which is obviously particularly egregious since he's a... As a, he's a sexual abuser um, um, so I'm looking at historic witch hunts and starting with the European ones and then using it as a kind of metaphor for the way that we persecute women in the press in real life and how we, we, I'm trying looking at whether we reclaim the word witch in the same way as I did with bitch mm. um, so yeah it's kind of and, and why why is Salem the, the go-to that we always think about? It's only 19 people were killed. Like, it's not in the scale of it. And we, we massed about 45,000 people in, across Europe. Like, it was... It, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in Germany, in the Trier witch trials, like, it was... I can't remember the statistic, but there was one village that only had two women left in it by the end. Gosh. Yeah, I mean, it's not... By all means, there were, were men that got killed as well, but it's... It's much more... It's, it's a gender side. It's yeah, p- yeah. wiping out um, old 
financially disadvantaged women, women who aren't um, fuckable. Wow. As there's no point in them anymore. So they're witches. Um, that's interesting as well because that's the the thing about um, Salem is that, that a lot of them are young, weren't mm. they? So that's unusual. So that's and it's the girls, that's, yeah, the girls did the finger pointing as well. Um, and like Arthur Miller kind of affixed this sexual jealousy motive for Abigail with Pro- mm. Proctor. She was 11, so it's the, wasn't that at all. Oh, that's a bit dark. It's dark. I didn't realise she was 11. Yeah, was she, she 11 in the play? No, no. No, she's like 19, I think, yeah. in the play. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, they basically did it to get attention because they weren't getting any in this weird mm. Puritan society. It was, it was the most attention they ever had. But that's infuriating. I didn't know that, that basically the, the story that's become the most famous yeah. is these young girls accusing each other mm-hmm. when, in fact, that's not representative of what was happening yeah. across the world much more broadly. Absolutely. I tie it to texts in this one as well. So basically, um, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live comes from the Bible. And then uh, that's the first one. And then you get the Malleus Maleficarum, which is basically some German monks wrote a, a, a book, of, it's basically misogyny for dummies. Yeah. Uh, and then that was the printing press got invented, so everyone could get a copy of it. Spreads like wildfire. Everyone's having a lovely go at torturing some women. And then a man called Matthew Hopkins rewrote that and called it The Discovery of Witches. And then The Discovery of Witches goes to America. So it's it's literally this hate speech, almost like Trump's Twitter, mm. uh, gets disseminated across the, across the globe. And yeah, you're right. It's infuriating that it's the... It's the female-led one, which is the archetype. But really, it's men writing books about how much how stupid and evil women are. Yeah, that's horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I suppose the the kind of the common thread that I I saw in when I was just sort of looking back over the three titles was this kind of like bitch, Madonna, whore, witch. That these are these kind of archetypal boxes, as we've yeah. said, that that women can kind of get into. Yeah, it's all about control again. It also it feels like, and now I don't know very much at all about um, the uh, the idea of witches in reality. Yeah, <laughs> but like the cartoons. Yes, have a cat and a cauldron. But um, the can you tell me a bit about? I guess it it kind of came from these texts that you're talking about. Yeah. What I mean is there a definition of a witch? Like what what are the characteristics that we're looking out for? Well, yeah, that's sort of what I'm do- yeah what the shows how it's evolved really. So the word um, in the Bible, Mechashefer, is the word for sorceress, which also meant herbalist. Right. So the early witches were essentially uh, midwives who were herbalists and helpful figures in the in the in the village, the generic village. <laughs> and then as um, the the Bible became more widely disseminated, and women became it became necessary to suppress women. Having a powerful woman in the village who everyone needed suddenly it would actually be a bit more helpful, really, if she was a crone. Right. Um, so, yeah, for, it's, it's, it splits around about the 14th century. And then the cauldrons and the, the poles and stuff, it's happening, it's when they start believing in Satan big time. And they make witchcraft a heresy. It's, it's heretical to not subscribe to God. So uh, Satan is the one who is um, giving women sexual desire. Uh, the pole running around on poles obviously it's got a fairly right. phallic connotation uh, I don't know where cauldrons come probably the herbalist thing yeah yeah well, I was going to say yeah. so that's so, so spells are basically potions which are actually herbal remedies yeah probably. absolutely that, that's kind of that journey that makes sense yeah so it's either women who've chosen to not conform and maybe live a little bit outside the village and have got their own little homestead and doing alright you know yeah the, the herbalist living out in the woods mm. Um, or it's women who have had children and have lived long, longer than they should have done and are a drain on resources right. and their children are inheriting their homesteads. So you do get inter-family accusations. Right. Um, yeah, and, or women who are um, deemed to be unsightly, so having the devil's mark upon you is like a, a, a wart or a you know mm. a third nipple or whatever it happens to be or just you know a bit of dirt you found on her <laughs> <laughs> um or women who were sexually active and that's i mean 
obviously suspect. Yes. <laughs> but also suspect in that it doesn't seem to fit with the other thing. Like, why? What? How does that link? Was there? Is there a justification for that in these texts? Like, what? How, what's sexually act, being sexually active got to do with anything? They demonise it. In the Malleus Maleficarum, they just say that women are more carnal than men. And it's because uh, we are born deformed because we've come from a rib, Adam's rib. So wow. we're unnatural to begin with. And hence, we if unsuppressed, we've got this awful sexuality in us, which will burn the, t- the town down. See, the, I find this fascinating because this has, uh, has morphed, hasn't it? In, mm. Like I feel like the idea that I inherited growing up was that men have the much larger sex drive. Mm, Men are the more sexual beings. And so I guess that if you kind of trace that, that's essentially the successful kind of suppression has gone... So so they've gone, oh, God, women have got this really powerful sexuality. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. Um, And first they go... They highlight it Mm -hmm. and go, this is gross and evil and wrong yeah and somehow that's morphed into just completely denying its existence yeah absolutely that's weird do yeah. you know anything about what that, that think, shift yeah I, I'm, I'm, maybe it's women going I'm not a witch I don't fan, I don't know oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, 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 no don't do it on me Ugh, get your sex off me <laughs> yeah god how um, depressing yeah is that? Oh, there's also a heteronormative agenda in in there as well being like if you if women get together in a coven and you know they start they'll they'll, they'll use their sexuality on each other so i guess it's kind of going yeah, and they'll be better at it and they'll be they better be at it yeah exactly <laughs> we're made obsolete by these awful hags well, there is like that um you know there was a survey a while ago wasn't there um, I can't remember who it was that did it now, but the the responses showed that um, straight men were orgasming something like ninety percent of the time they were mm. having sex, um, and straight women were only orgasming like sixty five percent of the time mm-hmm. they were having sex. And um, then the you know the little spanner in the works was that lesbians were uh, orgasming like eighty percent of the time. Like, really? So it was that's like, ah, yeah. so it's not. Woman, that's the problem. Yes, yeah. So yeah, just um, a coven of witches are gonna yeah figure it out. They're gonna figure it out. They're gonna get shit done. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So okay, yeah. So so this is seems like there's basically just a lot of fear of female power. Yeah, absolutely. But but the thing of kind of of sexual desire being threatening Mm. is interesting because statistically a lot of that desire is going to be directed towards men it's not yeah. like it's cutting them out of the yeah yeah absolutely um, yeah so this idea that you would label a woman a witch because she wanted to be sexually active yeah it's like where does that come from what's that? the problem i guess it's got to be primogeniture hasn't it but like yeah surely woman wants to have sex with me that's great i'd like to have sex with her but yeah, that idea. Of... You see, I wonder, because I, I don't know, have you read um, this book Vagina by Naomi Wolf? No. So I, I found it really interesting, and I interestingly, I've read some critique of some of the science in it, um, but one of the things that she talks about is um, that she feels a, a link between her sexuality and her creativity. Mm. So um, one of the things that kind of set her off on the journey of writing the book was that she had um, a problem physiologically. She was still orgasming, but it wasn't the same. Right, okay. And she, the way that she described it was that she used to have this kind of... Again, it was a while ago that I read it, so I'm not going to get it exactly right, the description, but this kind of euphoric whole body experience around orgasm and and after orgasm and it was linked to her feeling a rush of kind of creative energy and yeah feeling uh, sort of stimulated and energized in a much kind of more expansive way Mm. than just kind of getting off yeah um and this stopped happening and none of the doctors she went to took it seriously because they're like well 
she was still kind of having an orgasm. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, well, sounds like it's working then. Yeah. It's just some feelings that you're not having. Like, yeah. No, I don't really care about your feelings. Yeah. Um, and eventually, she managed to uh, find a doctor who found that there was actually an issue with, like, and I can't remember the details, but it's to do with the nerves in her spinal. Oh God, really? And. There, there was something going on. So th- this is where apparently some of her science is a bit dodgy, but she explains how like this network of nerves connects mm. and how the brain is connected, to, which obviously is to the genitals and or, or the way these drugs went in that way. Um, but kind of irrespective of whether or not the details of the science are correct, it is her experience that her sexuality and her sexual pleasure is linked to feeling empowered mm. um, in a, a kind of a creative way. It um, opens something up for her. Yeah. And that actually it kind of expands her horizons. And she, and she spoke to a number of other women who felt a similar thing. That's Maybe amazing. not like in quite such a concrete physiological way, mm-hmm. but certainly felt that um, emotionally that there was a kind of, yeah, a power to that. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that's also kind of slightly linked to this idea of that being threatening. That actually if women are kind of... It sounds... I, I always cringe a little bit when things sound a little bit kind of like hippy-dippy. <laughs> but but there, my gut tells me that there's something in this kind of idea of just a woman being completely kind of self-actualised. Yeah. That, 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 and sort of fulfilled, and then therefore sitting in her power and having this energy and this life force that um, can take her into kind of, yeah, doing things, seizing control, making shit happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, That there's that, a a bit like how, and there is science for this, isn't there, that physical exercise helps with mental health like that you feel yeah energized Mm, and mm. like you can yeah like you can do more (laughs) yeah yeah it's the opposite of being exhausted you know like that if you've if you've gone for a run then actually you kind of attack the day with a different energy yes like surely sex is the ultimate version of that Mm. when it's good it is exercise and there's also this kind of electricity to it yes absolutely Um, i don't know yeah maybe Maybe if women are, are kind of accessing that, yeah. then they're going to be bigger presences. Yeah. If you can cut them off from that source of kind of physical pleasure, you're also cutting them off from something which is core to their their sense of self and their power. That's like, really interesting. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think I think that's very true. I think like um, uh, I mean I, again, don't know the history on this or the dates, but like. The, the the shift in terms of how we view um, women as like a vessel or as a kind of empty space and nothing mm. because we have no thing and that kind of us being a sort of only, we only exist as a, as a receiver of sperm mm. um, we are not self there's nothing we're, there's nothing in us already we have to be a receptacle we have to be like a sort of existential hole so it's like the kind of the, the vagina is and you know our wombs essentially are these terrifying kind of moors that are gonna if if allowed to if they're anything other than a, a um you know a bag for sperm then they're gonna bite your dick off <laughs> like and i guess that's yeah it's when you feel self-actualized and uh, empowered and like you're bringing something to the table uh then you might go do you know what i think uh I, I don't know why John's running the village. I think I'll have a go at it. Yeah. Because also, I guess, after you've come, you do kind of feel on top of the world. Yes. Yeah. Like, that kind of swagger that is often the, the, the reserve of men, of yeah. walking around like you own the place. Yeah. I feel like maybe you feel more like that yeah. if you've t- had a really good orgasm yeah in your life. and we can have yeah. multiple ones and yeah. recover quickly so we're going we're gonna to be owning everything yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah fucking hell I mean is that also something to do with the fact that when a man comes it's it's like a, a death <laughs> and so we're sapping them of their life energy yeah and we can just go and have sex with another guy in theory yeah in, in a second and, and be fine Whereas they're still sort of limping their <laughs> flaccid <laughs> <laughs> penis around. 
It is. It, it's yeah. like a. It's like a sexual superpower. The idea of multiple orgasms, isn't it? To yeah. just be able to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so weird that now we've evolved in this idea of of how a woman should look like is that a woman should it should be more accessible so mm-hmm. now you know now, now everybody's got no pubic hair yeah now it's much more there right there's no there's no sort of it's nothing hidden maybe no but it's not human either is it no it's like a plastic doll yeah smooth so it, little, it's yeah. just it, it it's still mm. it's been designed for for male titillation, that's for porn, isn't it? It's yeah. Like we want to be able to see what's going on. Don't just want to yeah. the bush getting in the way of the detail of <laughs> what's going where. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you're well aware of um, of of my pubic situation. <laughs> so this is like I, I asked Holly before we started recording if you mentioned this because I already knew. Um, but I think it's I think it's a really useful like moral tale for our time yeah. so would you like to tell the story <laughs> so I've spent uh, roughly a thousand pounds having all of my pubic hair removed uh, which I did so when I started date, going, when I moved back to London after university and suddenly people found me attractive again and that the kind of the Brazilian thing was just coming in and so I was getting waxes all the time to get the landing strip and I was like oh laser hair so I'm, I'm obviously very dark i've got a lot of lot of hair um, and it was yeah, it was costing me thousands of pounds so i had to do i thought it'd be an, an exercise in economy i'll go and i will give i bought a group on uh, classic <laughs> get a group on uh went down to a uh a, a salon that in stoke newington that catered to um greek and turkish ladies who are like me are very uh, pale skinned dark lots of dark hair yeah and it was essentially like the back room of a of a news agent. <laughs> I literally I spent thousands of pounds on this. And uh, the process was I would get up on the table, which was like a raised kind of platform, and then one of these lovely uh, Turkish ladies would shave me, ritually shave me, and then she would apply a, a burning laser to my vagina. <laughs> Sounds it's absolutely foul. It's incredibly humiliating to be shaved by another woman. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit in the, in the old show, but it's, it, honestly, it felt, it's like Aslan at the stone table being <laughs> like, shave him, muzzle him. Uh, so that happens, and then the pain, the excruciating fucking pain. And the result is, I now have a permanent Brazilian, which to the uninformed, my mother, who saw me getting changed in a changing room, was like, fucking hell, love, it looks like Hitler. So I do, I've got this sort of bizarre little Hitler tash, and I can't do anything about it. So then, you know, when I you know, eventually met my husband and had graduated through the dickhead men, my husband wasn't expecting one way or another. He was like, you know, whatever you've got in your downstairs, let's, let's have a look. You know, he wasn't expecting And I kind of felt the need to be like, I'm sorry, I'm not a bad feminist. I haven't... <laughs> just gone and done this I, you know if I could I'd have a lovely you know magnificent mane but I can't grow one anymore I've just got this sort of weird anemic little <laughs> fascist moustache <laughs> directly above my clitoris oh. it's uh, uh, it's tragic it's funny <laughs> uh, but it's, it's tragic <laughs> Um, so let that be a lesson to you, listeners. Don't spend thousands of pounds getting your arsehole shaved <laughs> and lasered. Oh, God. The horror. Oh, oh, oh God. God. It's so embarrassing. I'm so pleased that hopefully only one person's going to see it from now on. <laughs> I really... I mean, what if I what if I actually get an acting job? Well, do you know? But but of course, there's always the merkin. There is the merkin. Which and this is this is the thing I find very entertaining that it used to be the case that it was fashionable to have a large bush, yeah. and so people used to wear a merkin to make it look like they had more. <laughs> so the, fashions change, people. This is the lesson. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now listen. On this note, we I know that you have to go. Um, oh, so we're going it? to the theatre. Oh God! I didn't um, even notice. I'm a lovely old chap. <laughs> no, it's been fantastic. And I feel like. I'd planned like a very kind of 
um, intellectual discussion about archetypes and we kept getting completely thrown off track. Um, but I think there's been lots of good chat anyway. Oh, so. I loved it. It's been so much fun. Listen, I want you to plug your show. So your third show... Yes, my third show is on 27th of Feb to the 3rd of March at the Vault Festival in London's Waterloo. And yeah, if you haven't been to Vault Festival, it's brilliant. Um, it's, it's in the caverns under Waterloo. It's very it's atmospheric, very cool. It's a womb tomb. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, does this show also have fabulous singing? It's got singing in it, yes. So, so Holly has an amazing voice. Oh, um, <laughs> oh, no. And, and the impressions extend to the singing voices. So yes. it is like, you've got, got a little bit of a, a, a little voice kind of vibe going on of yeah. embodying yeah, yeah, um, yeah. the the DVS. And also some uh, some feminism. Feminism. <laughs> feminism. <and Davidism>. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the gist. I should just put that on the fly. <laughs> feminism and Davis. And some history, learn about witches. Yeah, you can. There's a slideshow in this one. Brilliant. <laughs> um, and I think I think that you have accidentally revealed in our conversation that you definitely did more than twenty minutes Don't of research. Tell anyone, people <laughs> will think I'm clever and they won't come. But it's still fun. It's funny. You learn things and you will laugh. Yeah, yeah that is, is true. If you're laughing, you're learning. That's perfect. <laughs> That's all you need from a show. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I'm really happy, listeners, I'll share with you my happy news because I got Arts Council funding for my yes, play rejoicing at her wondrous world of the young woman applauded herself, which is going to be on at Overhouse. There'll probably be more of these podcasts before my show. But it's gonna be a May. Yeah, you can come along to that as well. Um so it's been so wonderful talking it's to you. Thank you so a much. I've had a lovely time. <laughs> Good luck with the show. I'm sure you don't Thanks, need darling. it. And I look Thanks. forward to seeing it. Yay!